Hello, I am Kaylin Gonzalez, a psychology major at Southeastern, and this is my podcast. Good morning. Today, I'm going to be talking about Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Fowart. Fowler takes us on his journey through the USA Memory Championship. Truthfully, when he first introduced this in his book, I did not know what it was. No one I knew was talking about anything similar. I had no prior knowledge to what this championship was. This is how he explains it. There are five events. First, the contestants had to memorize a whole 50-line poem. This poem had been unpublished to ensure that none of the contestants had seen it before. The contestants were then provided with 99 photographic headshots, including their first and last names. They had 15 minutes to memorize as many face and name combinations that they could. They had another 15 minutes to memorize a list of 300 random words and five minutes to memorize a page of a thousand random digits. These digits were displayed as 25 lines of numbers with 40 numbers to a line. Lastly, they were given a shuffle deck of cards to memorize the order within five minutes. These tasks, he described, were all part of the 2005 championship that Fower had been an observer of. After he described the events he witnessed, he acknowledged what I'm sure many of you initially thought as well. What those contestants can do is amazing, but there are two important thoughts that initially jump out at me. First is the assumption that these individuals have to contain some special memory ability allowing them to remember this much information. I was sure there was no way, even with training, that someone could just remember all of that information. Secondly, I thought, how does having the ability to recite precise order of deck of cards in less than a minute pertain to me? How could any of these techniques be beneficial at all when it comes to my specific education? This is when Fowler introduced the memory palace memory technique. This technique is what these mental athletes used to could to remember the crazy amounts of information given to them. This technique is a new concept to me, one I'm still not fully wrapped my mind around, mostly because the concept is so different from how I normally pertain or remember information. There are so many synonyms circling around for the memory palace technique. Some of these include memory mapping, the method of loci, and memory's journey. All of these are just different names for the retrieval of information from long-term memory using spatial memory. Spatial memory is the part of one's memory that is responsible for recording their environment. Before I attempt to describe what the memory palace technique is and how it is connected to both USA memory champions and everyday students like you and I, I'm going to step in some psychology behind our memory. Memory is thought to consist of three major components or systems. The systems include sensory memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. The first system is sensory memory. This is what is perceived by the sensory receptors such as in your eye. The information that is being perceived from the physical world is held only briefly. Much of what is perceived in the moment is lost or dissolved just as fast as it comes. And the image produced by the senses quickly dissolves. Similar concepts occur in short-term memory. After the first sensory stage comes encoding. 
This is crucial because encoding turns symbols like letters into something meaningful, so short-term and long-term memory can quickly and efficiently handle large amounts of information coming in, which cannot be said about symbols in our brain that we cannot encode like Chinese letters. In theorized short-term memory, also known as working memory, encoding happens and incoming information is stored longer, or at least for your attention span. Ultimately, short-term memory is your current conscious state. Information can be stored for longer than its usual time, which is about a minute, if the information is being rehearsed. It is still unclear to psychologists today exactly how information is transferred from conscious thought into long-term memory. But due to cases like amnesia, most psychologists agree that the memory trace must be uninterrupted in its way to long-term memory. However, information that does make its way to long-term memory is believed to never be erased. The memory trace is there permanently somewhere within your brain. Today, psychologists are still unsure where this information is stored. This is relevant to memory palace because questions in psychology remain about the retrieval of information from the long-term memory. Psychologists are unclear on why sometimes we can recall information and why other times it is nearly impossible. Of course, until four hours later when remembering the needed information is no longer beneficial to you or me. The method of loci provides a centralized place that stores all of the information you need, which becomes easy to retrieve. Once the traces are called, the whole memory trace or everything thought to be connected with that moment is theorized to then also be recalled. Our memories are highly complex and very, very cool, and there are a lot of unanswered questions to this day about our memories. However, this method introduced by Fower creates an essential shortcut for remembering any information, not just limited to crazy amounts of random digits or the order of a deck of playing cards. This method almost eliminates the retrieval failure for stored information. The problem though, especially if you're lazy like me, is creating the memory palace. The memory palace is supposed to be unique to every person, and in order to close your eyes and have a mental image of your own familiar home or whatever space that you decide to make your memory palace with, to be filled with direct clues into information that's important, then you must become extremely familiar with your memory palace. This takes time. I decided to test the memory technique out. I am not a fan of history, the subject is not something I hate, but for some reason, the events of the past do not necessarily interest me. Possibly, it is because history and psychology, my current major, is so different. Opposites, almost. Psychology is a science which proposes questions that are unanswerable and tries to answer them. History is set in stone and unable to be changed. However, I know that history is important because mistakes are meant to be learned from and not repeated. So I wanted to use this memory technique to help me get focused on my history notes and find out firsthand if this will help my grade in the class. I'm never truly connected to my notes, especially in a class like history. By diving into my notes and trying to make crazy connections or associations between the information I need to learn and some strange object that I can place into the spatial memory of my house, I already began to connect with my notes more than I had before. I connect the information with something unusual or crazy because it triggers the memory trace that will quickly lead to the answer I'm searching for. Because the information is connected to something unusual, it latches onto emotions, which is most likely the fastest way to recall information. 
Emotional connections are strong. Think back to your childhood. The most memorable of your first experiences around ages three to six are most likely associated with something traumatic or emotional. In history, names are critical right now. People are constantly being associated with big events. So I'm aimed to successfully create a memory palace to simply remember the importance of specific people in American history. First, I drew a physical map of my house. This was easier for me to study because I was able to look at the layout, which only made the visualization in my head stronger. I went through my notes and with each important person I came across, I tried to spark my creativity to associate this person with something wild that directly pertains to my emotions and incorporate something that will spark the definition to the individual's importance. It seems like a lot, but mostly it's just creativity. For example, when I came across Alexander Hamilton, I imagined a child's doll hotel. In my memory palace, the toy hotel appeared in the middle of my hallway, and it was green. Now, every time I visioned my house, I saw this weird association I made. This reminds me of Alexander Hamilton because Hamilton looks like the Hiltons or Hamptons. It is green because I wanted to remember that Hamilton created the Bank of the United States. The other information, once recalled, is easier to remember. It becomes suddenly automatic to remember Hamilton's first name, Alexander. I assume after seeing them together so much time while studying, that is the reason why. The task was not the most difficult thing I've ever done, but I think I realized I need to train my creativity more. I was having trouble coming up with original ideas and connections that are personal to me. At first, I thought it was due to my own lack of creativity, something I've been working on even before this experiment. Then I began to contemplate. If students were introduced to this method, a truly simple method if the steps are taught simply incorrectly, early into education, then young children would be taught creativity that is unique to themselves. All the while, they are using a memory technique that can be beneficial in retaining information for the rest of their education. Possibly most schools are teaching valuable curriculum, but are less concerned with how students are receiving the information being taught. Albert Einstein once said, creativity is intelligence having fun. If we introduce a creative outlet like this to young children, who knows how far their creativity could expand by the time they are freshmen in college or the first time I'm being introduced to this method. Thank you.